Hello, welcome to the Grow Your Wealthy Mindset Podcast, where it is all about helping amazing physicians just like you create a wealthy life free from burnout and with the financial security to practice medicine on your own terms. I'm your host, Dr. Elisa Zhang. Hello, and welcome back to the Grow Your Wealthy Mindset Podcast. So today we're going to talk about our primary residence or our home and what that means for money and happiness. Home ownership has been part of the American dream. In a national survey, 65% of respondents cited the, quote, dream as the major reason to buy a home. How about you? But I'm one who've always wanted to have my own house, my own home. I actually bought my house from my parents when I was in medical school doing the MSTP program at Case Western Reserve. Since it was my parents' home, they really helped me out by essentially helping with the down payment that they just got paid back to them. So it worked out. And we actually owned that home until 2016 when I finally finished fellowship and decided to take a job in Virginia. Part of me actually regrets selling that house to the point that I actually contacted the person who bought it from me and asked if I could buy it back when I returned to Cleveland. We actually did start talking about it, but in the end, I decided that it probably wasn't the right thing to do because she had made so many changes that it really wasn't my home anymore. So I understand that many physicians want to buy a house when they finish their training and start their new job. Physician mortgage loans have also made it really easy for a physician to buy their first home. These loans were created by banks to help physicians purchase a home since it can actually be hard for physicians in residency, fellowship, or new attending to qualify for a conventional mortgage. This can be because of the lower income during training, the high debt-to-income ratio due to student loan debt, and having minimal savings for a down payment. Physician mortgage loans, also called doctor mortgages, allow a physician to buy a house with a low or even zero down payment and avoid paying private mortgage insurance or PMI. PMI is a monthly premium that's tacked onto your mortgage payment to protect the lender in the case that you default on your mortgage payments and is generally required if you put less than 20% down when you buy your home. You can also qualify for a physician loan with a signed contract with your future salary instead of having to show recent pay stubs showing your new income. Physician mortgage loans have made it easy for physicians to buy a home during training or with their first attending job. But just because you can doesn't mean that you should. So today we're going to talk more about buying your primary residence and how this impacts your financial life as well as your happiness. While buying real estate sounds like an asset, and wealth is created by buying assets, your primary residence is not the kind of asset that puts money in your pocket. In fact, your primary residence takes money out of your pocket. It costs money to maintain a home, potentially more money to maintain a single family home than a townhouse or a condo. But then townhouses and condos are generally going to have an HOA or homeowners association fee associated with it. So that's what's actually used to cover the maintenance. People often underestimate the cost of home ownership. While the mortgage may be less than renting, the actual cost of living in a home can be higher than renting. Generally, you'll want to put aside about 2-4% to of the value of the home towards maintenance to cover things like a new furnace when your furnace breaks down, or an AC unit, or the roof starts leaking, and other structural components of the house. You really want to consider how long you're going to be living in the house before you buy. If you have a three-year residency, it's unlikely to appreciate enough to cover the cost of selling if you plan on leaving the area once you've completed your training. And it's actually really easy to buy a home in terms of the seller pays for both the buyer and seller's real estate agent. 
Depending on the market, you may even get the seller to pay part of your closing cost as the buyer. So then if you are a buyer with a doctor's mortgage, you could potentially buy a house for just a few thousand dollars with the seller covering part of your closing cost and your realtor's commission. So you're really putting in very little to get into the house. Then three years later, when you finish your residency and you're the seller, now you're on the paying side of all these things, which generally is 10% or more of the sales price. If you put 0% down and have no equity, and your house hasn't appreciated by at least a 10, 12, or even 15%, that means you may have to bring money to closing in order to actually sell. And I do know physicians who have had to take out loans in order to sell their house when they move. Yes, there are some markets that not too long ago appreciated by more than 10%, even in just one year. The real estate market in many markets has been very hot in recent years. With interest rates higher now, that's less likely to continue to be the case. In fact, some markets may actually show depreciation where houses are selling less now than they were a year or two ago. While it's a good bet that real estate appreciates over time, it's not a good bet that it will appreciate significantly in a small time frame. Then consider, as an attending, more than 50% of physicians leave their first job within the first two to three years. Since many physician jobs have a non-compete, physicians often end up moving when they have to take a new job. This is the reason why I think it's good for most physicians to rent for their first year when they're starting a new job. That's especially true if it's the case that they're moving to a new area and they're really moving there for the job that they're taking. Buy a house when you're reasonably assured that you're going to stay where you're working for the long term before actually buying your own home. The other option would be to buy a place to live with the mindset that it's an investment property. This could mean buying a single family house that would have sufficient positive cash flow if you rented it after you left. You could also consider buying a multifamily like a duplex and living in one side and renting out the other. You wanna make sure the numbers work so that it's profitable with both sides rented if you have a duplex and that the rent not only covers the mortgage, taxes, insurance, but also all the maintenance associated with the property. You also wanna consider the cost of holding when there's vacancy in between tenants. Ideally, you'd also want it to cover the cost of a property manager to manage it as an investment. The key to real estate investing is to have positive cash flow, because with positive cash flow, you can hold onto a property indefinitely, even in a down market, and wait to sell until it's advantageous. You don't want to count on appreciation alone to make a real estate deal profitable. I know right now you're probably thinking I'm a dream killer. You spent all these years of medical training, delaying gratification, and you finally want to buy that big, beautiful house now that you're in attending and making, quote, real income. To quote the book, Happy Money, The Science of Smarter Spending by Elizabeth Dunn and Michael Norton, quote, buying a big, beautiful house may not be a wise use of money, end quote. There is almost no evidence that buying a home or a new nice home increases happiness. There are actually studies that look specifically at this. One study by Grace Buccineri looked at 600 women in Ohio and found that homeowners aren't any happier than renters. The abstract of the paper says it all. Quote, the results show that after controlling for household income, housing quality, and health, homeowners are no happier than renters by any of the following definitions, life satisfaction, overall mood, overall feeling, general moment-to-moment -moment emotions, i.e. affect, and affect at home, 
but instead derive more pain from their house and home, end quote. Another study looked into buying a nicer home. It tracked thousands of people in Germany between 1991 and 2007 who moved to a new house because there was something about their old house that they didn't like. After settling in their new house, the people who moved reported being much more satisfied with their new homes compared to their old home. There's something called hedonic adaptation where people often get used to with whatever they've got. So one would actually expect that over time, the initial spike in housing satisfaction would wear off. Surprisingly, that's not what actually happened in the study. Satisfaction with the new home only wore off a little bit, and five years later, those who moved continued to be more satisfied with their new home compared to their old one. However, while the satisfaction in their new home increased, the satisfaction they had in their lives and their overall happiness did not increase. So that really just goes to show that, yes, if you buy a nicer home, then you will actually appreciate and like your home better, but that it doesn't actually increase your overall happiness. Depending on where you live, it's very possible to find a nice place to live that suits your needs without actually buying. When I moved to Suffolk, Virginia for my first attending job, I rented a four bedroom, two and a half bath house with hardwood floors on the first floor, a huge kitchen with granite countertops, a large master bedroom with attached master bath and a walk-in closet, you get the idea. It was a really nice house, and this was something that I rented. When the AC broke, the landlord paid to fix it. When I picked that job, I was really hoping to pick something where I would beat the odds and end up staying, but I left less than three years later, and at that point, I was really glad that I didn't buy a house. Are there benefits to home ownership? Certainly. You can make improvements to your liking, whether it's painting a room or renovating the kitchen. You don't have to worry about putting holes in the walls to hang up your pictures. I like to garden, but I've never felt compelled to plant a garden anywhere that I've rented. But these are also things that you probably want to do when you know that you're going to be somewhere that you want to stay for the long term. I have framed pictures that were packed in boxes from 2016 when I sold my last primary residence until this year when I finally unpacked them in my new primary residence that I bought last summer. So when should you consider buying a primary residence? when you aren't thinking about it as a real estate investment. My advice is to do so when you have a high likelihood of not moving out for at least five or up to 10 years, depending on the market. When you can buy a home that you're unlikely to grow out of, meaning you won't need more space when you start having children or the children grow older. When you can put down a down payment of at least 10% or better yet 20% so that you can have equity and you don't have to bring money to closing if you have to move and sell. When you can qualify for a conventional mortgage with a 15 or 30 year fixed rate mortgage. For some perspective, according to the 2018 One Year American Community Survey, the median duration of home ownership in the United States is 13 years. If you are at the point of buying your primary residence, how much do you actually spend? There are many opinions on this. If you have good credit, you'll likely get approved for more than you should actually consider spending. The 28% mortgage rule states that you should spend 28% or less of your monthly gross income on your mortgage amount, meaning your principal, interest, taxes, and insurance. And that's actually what you're likely to be able to get approval from a bank or mortgage lender. However, let's do some math. Given that most physicians will spend 30 to 40% of their gross income on federal, state, and local taxes, as well as Medicare and Social Security taxes, and then we should really be putting 20% of our gross income towards investing for retirement, 
spending 28% of your gross income in your house would mean that you only have somewhere between 11 and 22% of your gross income for all your living expenses, including potentially saving for your children's college. That to me doesn't make any sense at all. Dave Ramsey will tell you that you should spend one fourth of your take home income towards your mortgage. And that's not a bad idea, though I think that you could potentially spend a little bit more than that. The White Coat Investor Blog article written on January 12, 2022 by Eric Rosenberg recommends that your mortgage be less than two times your gross income or to keep all your housing costs, mortgage, insurance, taxes, and utilities to less than 20% of your gross income. In high cost of living areas, you may need to stretch it to three to four times your gross income, but you don't want to be stretching it to something like 10 times. I think you really want to take into account your financial situation, including other debts, your financial goals, the needs of your family, current interest rates, which will be impacted by your credit score, as well as the real estate market you want to buy in when you consider how much you should pay when you buy a home. What you want to avoid is being house poor in the sense that you've bought this big, beautiful house that you may love, but you are prevented from doing a lot of other things that you enjoy doing because you don't have the spending money to actually spend on other things like vacation. Most people don't want to feel trapped in their home that they're home all the time because they can't actually go out anywhere. Of course, there's lots of free things that you can do or very inexpensive things like going for walks in the park, but that's besides the point. What I want to end with is that Owning your own home isn't going to make you happier. Buying a home and owning your primary residence can be a great thing, but it's something that you want to plan for and make sure that you have the appropriate funds to actually buy the appropriate house that you want to buy. There are lots of good things about renting, including increased flexibility to move. It allows you to explore different neighborhoods, and there are a lot of different kinds of rentals you can go to. You can go to an apartment or a townhouse or a single family house. All of these are available to rent. Real estate is probably the most expensive things you'll ever buy. And your primary residence may be the most expensive thing you ever buy. So it is something that you want to put careful thought into. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Grow Your Wealthy Mindset podcast. If you enjoy this podcast, I really encourage you to leave a review. I'd really appreciate it. Thank you so much. If you enjoyed this episode, I would love it if you could share it with your friends and colleagues. And now for the disclaimer. I am not a certified financial planner, accountant, or attorney, and nothing I say should be construed as professional investment, tax, or legal advice. This show is primarily for your education and entertainment. I am a physician, but I'm probably not your physician. So if you need any medical advice, please contact your own physician. Thank you.